16, 13. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. We're going to be looking at Corinth today. Kind of a quick background to kind of give you a flavor of where the Corinthian church, uh, what they encountered. Sisyphus was uh, Greek mythology. He is mentioned in Homer's Odyssey, and if you have your uh, smartphone with you, you can see a picture of him there. Uh, apparently, he was the one that formed Corinth. And this is Greek mythology, by the, by the way. And so he had angered the gods, and the gods condemned him to a life of eternity, rolling a stone up a hill, and as soon as he got to the top of the hill, the stone would roll back down, and he would do this for all eternity. Camus, who was a 19th century philosopher, pointed to that event, which is not real, pointed to that event as the purposelessness of mankind. When you think about it, that's absolutely true. Life without Christ is purposeless. There is no meaning to life apart from Christ. Now, a little bit of background of uh, the Corinthians. Number one, the authorship is the Apostle Paul. No scholar seriously doubts that. It's not been questioned. Uh, the place of writing was Ephesus. You can go back and read Acts 18, 1 to 23. The date ranges anywhere from an early 52 to late 55. I put on the PowerPoint 44 to, or 54 to 45 AD. The purpose why Paul wrote it, and if you've read Corinthians, you know that the church was encountering a lot of problems, a lot of issues. But the purpose was to correct worldly influences in the church. Think about that for a minute. This is 50-something A.D., and he's writing to correct worldly influences into the church. When we think about our church today and how far it's gone, not our church here, but churches in America how far they've, they've gone, and how much of the worldly influences have come into the church. It's quite a staggering, and I go with uh, Solomon's words, there's nothing new under the sun. It was happening then, it's happening now. Now, Corinth was very materialistic. They had beautiful bathhouses, they gold, jewelry, they were very materialistic. That sounds like America today. We have become materialistic. There was rampant immorality in Corinth. Rampant immorality. And you could see that, reading 1 Corinthians, you, you can see that that immorality had crept into the church. The Apostle Paul dealt with that, particularly in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Talked at length in chapter 8 too. Many other places in 1 Corinthians, Paul addressed the issue of immorality. Why was Corinth steeped in immorality? Well, there was the temple of Aphrodite. I, on the PowerPoint slide, I've got a, a, a statue there of uh, Aphrodite and, of course, the temple. Here's something to consider and to think about. There was called temple prostitution. Roughly 2,000 prostitutes roamed the streets of Corinth. And the church was in, in that culture. The church was in a culture of materialism, 
immorality and all kinds of things that are pagan. And that's how they functioned. And you know what? Today, that sounds a lot like what we encounter. We encounter materialism in our world and immorality on every spectrum where they've now changed the definition of marriage, where abortion is running rampant. It still has not been stopped. So we are dealing a lot with the same type of things that our brothers and sisters dealt with in the first century. And against this backdrop, the Apostle Paul writes this, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men. So it is addressed to men, be strong. And you should know right up front that this is dropped in by the Apostle Paul with no apparent uh, purpose for it other than as he's writing, he's thinking, I need to address the men here. So men, this is for you this morning. I, uh, I did godly women last time. Today I'm going to do godly men. So this is for the men. And you could actually apply it, ladies, to your own lives as, as well, but specifically for men. And the first point is this. Men, we need to be on guard. 1613a. Paul writes here, be watchful. Gregorel. Gregorel is the Greek word there. And it means to stay awake or to continue in readiness. I know you can't see this out here unless you got your smartphone, but I'm standing here as a soldier on the east-west German border. I was doing border patrol. And up in the upper left-hand corner, you see a east German tower with a fence around it and two sets of eyes looking back at me and the guy I was with. Men, we have got to, st we have got to stand firm. We have got to uh, be on guard at all times. I like what, uh, there's, there's two ways to interpret this, be watchful. Um, Richard Pratt, in his commentary, wrote this. Paul may have wanted the Corinthians to remain expectant of Christ's second coming. Looking watchfully for the return of Christ implies a readiness, which is what we're talking about, that includes a lifestyle of holiness and service to Christ. One way that we can stay motivated, one way that we can be on guard is to remember that Christ is coming back. And I don't know if, if you're like me, I want Christ to come tomorrow or even this afternoon would be fine. Because <laughs> this is what we're living in. This is what we're having to deal with. Men, we need to be on guard. State of readiness. I'll give you a verse here. 1 Thessalonians 5, 6. So then let us not be like others who are asleep. But let us be awake and sober, for the day of the Lord is coming. That's one way to interpret here, be watchful. But I think a better way to interpret it, based on the, the context, would be something like this. 1 Peter 5.8 Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil walks around like a roaring, like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And when we, I think, probably more what the Apostle Paul was staying, saying is, you look at the culture in which you live. Paul knew it. He had, he had written about it early on. He said, look at the culture. And he said, men, since you are going to be the leaders of the home, those of you that are husbands, men, you have the authority from God to be the leader. That doesn't mean the wife is less. We're all equal. But the husband is the head of the wife, as we know from Paul's writings. 
But he's telling them you need to be on guard because this culture is going to push back against you. It is going to come slamming back against you. I read an article this week which was disturbing. It was from the New York Times and it was dated January 10th, 2019. This is just last year. The title of it was this. Traditional masculinity can hurt boys. Now the topics involved in this was gender bias, gender conflict, and gender sensitivity. And I am quoting from the article directly. Males who socialize to conform to traditional masculinity ideology are often negatively affected in, ter infected, uh, affected in terms of mental and psychological health. What they're trying to do is take away our masculinity. The Apostle Paul says, act like men. We're to stand firm. And our culture is slowly chipping away. So men, we have to be on guard. Uh, this is why I'm so grateful that we started Trail Life USA for boys. Because we're gonna, we, teach them, we teach them elements of survival for outdoors, stuff like that. That's fine. But mostly we are teaching them to become men. That's the purpose of, of Trail Life, is to help them stand firm in Christ. And that's why I'm so grateful for it. And I'm grateful for the kids that we have. Men, we have to stand firm in a culture that is constantly chipping away and trying to erode our, our masculinity. Now, that doesn't mean that men can't be sensitive. I've cried a lot of times. It doesn't mean that men can't be emotional. It, it doesn't mean that men can't have feelings. But what it means is we have to step up and take control. We are the ones that have to keep pushing the banner forward. That means we lead our families. We lead our friends. We have to move forward in our lives as men. Like I said before, our culture is slowly chipping away at our masculinity. So we need to be on guard. Secondly, the Apostle Paul tells us to persevere in the faith. 13b. Stand firm in the faith. Stako. I like that word because uh, at 4 o'clock this evening, Audrey and I are driving over to the beef house and we're eating uh, Father's Day. You can go indoors over there and eat. So uh, I, when I heard that word Stako, I thought of the beef house. But, uh, and that means to be steadfast, not giving up, to, be pers to persevere in whatever circumstance you find yourselves. I don't know, maybe it's me. The Apostle Paul uses images all the time. But when I think of perseverance, I think of a marathon runner. Remember, this is not a sprint. We are not sprinting. We are in a marathon. Marathon runners, and I've ran in one and did not run in anymore because it was very painful. That was back in my days in the Army. I foolishly raised my hand and volunteered to run for our unit. It was a 25-mile uh, race and I think Frank Shorter won that race many of you remember Frank Shorter from uh, the Olympics he's a big runner he he won it but I can personally tell you there there are many points during that race where you just want to quit I think we started with 50 guys and we wound up with 15 
I was one that, that made it through, and boy, there was times, particularly at the last 10 minutes, uh, the last 10 miles, I wanted to quit bad. My legs hurt, there was potholes, there was rain, there were all of these elements that were coming against us, but I said I was not going to quit. I was gonna persevere, I was gonna keep moving forward, I was not going to quit. And by the grace of God, I crossed the finish line. They wrapped me up in this uh, cellophane blanket or whatever it was, wrapped me up and gave me water because I was dehydrated. So when I think of perseverance, I always think of a long-distance runner. We are not in a sprint. We are in a marathon. And thankfully, the marathon ends when we see Jesus face-to-face. He says here, in the faith, pistes, we've had this word many times, and it means to trust. Since there's no definite article here, we are left to assume that the Apostle Paul is talking about all dimensions of the Christian faith. Our salvation, our sanctification, and even our glorification, those are the three dimensions of salvation, uh, of, of the faith. Saving faith, the day that you trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you invited him into your heart. That's where the journey begins on that day. Then there's a thing called sanctification, which you are growing day by day. You stumble, you fall, you get up, you keep moving, you persevere in the faith. And then the glorification, sanctification, uh, uh, sanctification salvation, and lastly, glorification is when we see Jesus Christ face to face. Men, we must persevere. We must take the banner. We must, as Christian men, stand for the truth. This word in, I like to study in detail, in the faith, has 26 different meanings. And here, it is possible that it refers to with regard to the faith. The faith that we possess, not only men, but women too, that we possess, that we have embraced. Uh, and I think last week I talked about the covenant, uh, the covenant relationship that we have with God. The New Testament, meaning the New Covenant. The Old Testament, meaning the Old Covenant. We have entered into a covenant. We embrace that. In regard to the faith that we have, we are to stand firm in the faith. Mark Taylor writes this, the faith here could be understood as one own personal faith or faith in the sense that the of the gospel traditions received. Although the latter may be the primary meaning, meaning we need not drive a wedge between the two, that is between our personal faith and faith. They are not mutually exclusive. Holding firmly to the received traditions entails, and I love this, personal commitment and behavior. Men, we need to make a commitment to the faith that we embraced the day that we trusted in Jesus Christ. We need to stand firm. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, our culture is coming after us day by day, and it's going to take men of faith to stand firm. I believe that marriage is between one man and one woman, and that is it. Because that's what the Bible teaches. Anything outside that realm is of the world. It is worldly. So we need to persevere in the faith. We need to keep hold of that faith. 
2 Corinthians 1, 21 and 22. Now it is God who makes both us, us and you to stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. That is the faith. In times that you're weak, go to God, ask him to give you the strength to stand firm and to persevere in the faith to keep moving, keep moving even though it hurts, keep moving even though the world is constantly throwing things against us, that we are watchful, that we are on guard, and that we are persevering in the faith. That's what we need. And that's not just for men, that's women too. We need godly women as well to stand firm in the faith and to stand up and to push back against a culture that is attacking us. You know, Really, there's not that other than electricity and electronic gadgets. There's not a lot of difference between what the Corinthian church experienced and what we experience. That's the only difference. There, we, they didn't have technology and stuff that we had, you know, face, Facebook, FaceTime, all this other stuff. But they encountered the same stuff that we're encountering. And we've got to be careful to be on guard, and to persevere in the faith. I've got some soldiers here. They're laying down and they're defending a position. They're not going to let the enemy advance. They're going to persevere in holding that position. And this is, we're in a war. We need to fight the good fight. We need to keep the faith. We need to persevere. Lastly, lastly, Paul writes, act like men. Odrizomai. Odrizomai. You ready for this one? The literal Greek means to be manly or to become a man. To be manly. To be manly means that we're strong, that we don't have our wives wake us up in the morning for it's, when, when it's time for church. And it also means to become a man. That means that we put the childish things behind us. Since he's used it so close to the faith, I am only to, to believe and it's in opposition to the faith, meaning that we're not to have childish faith. That we're to grow into men in our faith and to stand and to lead our homes lovingly as Christ would want us to lead them. And to also combat a culture that is, I'm telling you, there's a, there's a target on the church today. There's a target on Christians and we need to be able to turn, stand, and push back against a culture that is constantly bombarding us. Act like men. It's connected in the Greek. It's connected to be strong. Kartaio. Kartaio, to become strong. This is interesting. To become strong psychologically. I use that first article to say that the psychology uh, of, of our manliness affects boys negatively. They, they grow up uh, in, an, in an abused condition. 
No, I'm going to tell you something. I, I thank God for godly fathers who are showing their men, their, their, their boys, and their girls how to follow Christ. Because that's tomorrow's church. That's the church of tomorrow. And a lot will depend on how the church survives the next 20, 30, 40 years. I, I, I'm not a prophet but I can read some signs here. There may come a day in America where it's against the law to preach the gospel. Or you can't even mention the name of Jesus. So we have to be careful. We have to be on guard. We have to persevere. And we have to be men of courage. The implication is that the believer is to be sufficiently strong as to be able to dominate any evil influence that will come against us. Again, I want to quote from Mark Taylor. He had some good ones this week. This scriptural echo calls for the Corinthians to be fearless and not cowardly and reflects Paul's conviction that Christians who are set apart to be holy must stand over against the extraordinary pressures of their pagan society. In other words, we simply cannot compromise. Here's something to think about. If we don't stand, who will? If we don't stand against the culture, who will? I'm starting to see more and more stuff on Facebook about calling the, the, the church to take a stand. Men, we need to do that in our daily lives. You say, well, pastor, I've only got one small section. Well, one small section is still part of the larger picture. So we need, as Christian men and as Christian women, we need to fight and defend the ground which we have. And collectively, as a church, we become a sounding board for the gospel of Christ. Isn't that the goal of the church? There, there's, there's two goals that I know of for sure. The first goal of the church is to worship the Savior who redeemed us and to praise him and to sing songs to him. And the second purpose of the church is to share the gospel. It's to share the gospel with the world. I love the outdoor church because I love it when, when people go by and they slow down to see what's going on. I love that. And, and I'm so grateful to God that it didn't rain today. I was starting to, I texted the deacons and the trustees last night and asked them what we're going to do. But, uh, you know, we, we, we've got to fight, folks. We have to stand our, our ground. We have to fight. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, Ephesus or Ephesians 3.16, I pray out of his glorious riches. Wow. God has a lot of riches, and he's blessed us, right? Every one of you have been blessed by God. That he may strengthen you with power through his spirit. Every believer has the Holy Spirit living inside of them. In your inner being, that's here, who you are as an individual, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. My prayer for us this morning as believers is that we will be on guard. We will persevere when the attacks come.
and that we will be courageous in how we live for Christ.